just wanted to say that. But as we continue with the series, Lies We Believe, um, we're going to look at today lies we believe about ourselves and how easy it is to believe lies, which it sounds like you wouldn't really want to believe lies. Like I was thinking, um, have you ever been taking a nap or you're asleep and someone calls you and you pick up the phone and they automatically, just by hearing your voice, they just know that you've been asleep? You know, like, and they just know that you've been horizontal for several hours. And it's weird, like, you, you, just, you can tell by how someone sounds that they've been sleeping. And they go, what do they say? They go, oh, I'm sorry, did I wake you? And, and what, what do you say? I say, oh, no, no, I'm fine. <laughs> or if the phone rings, I'll sit up real quick and try and make myself sound awake, you know. No, like, you're trying to cover it with a lie. Like, oh, no, 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 I, I, was, I was wide awake. Now, what's really sad is if you weren't asleep and you just sound like that all the time, like you were wide awake and someone said, oh, I'm sorry, did I wake you? And you're like, no, I'm actually conscious. So I just sound like this all the time. I was at the uh, previous church I worked at and it was in December and there was a little, a little boy and a young family that was going to the church and a uh, wonderful family. And this little boy was walking up near me and I said, oh, are you excited about Christmas? And he said, yes. And I said, oh, is Santa Claus going to come and visit you? And he said, yes. And I said, have you been a good boy this year? And he said, I'm always good. <laughs> and I caught his mother's eye. And his mother went. <laughs> and he looked at her eyes without speaking. She was just saying, help me. <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding. They're wonderful people. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, and, and then the mother was like sort of shooing him away, like, oh, no, don't lie to the pastor, honey. <laughs> no one's good all the time. <laughs> you know, we tend to believe, we say lies we believe. That's sort of an interesting phrase because you would think we would never come to believe a lie. You would think people would never want to believe a lie. You would think that when you hear what's obviously a lie that you would never actually believe it. But that's not what happens. Some people do tend to believe lies because they sound like the truth. And they can sound like the truth to you on whatever your circumstance of life is in. But the simple statement of that the nature of deception is that you don't know when you're deceived, right? And the only way deception is overridden is by the truth, coming in and breaking light and new ground to dispel those lies. So there's overt lies, lies that are obvious, and there's covert lies, lies that sort of get around the defenses of your heart, that you believe it and you don't even know that you believed it. So there's some lies that are obviously believable. Like you could say, someone could say, there's not any television screens in this room. And you're going, well, obviously there are television screens in this room. Or, you know, I saw on Instagram recently, there was this thing in Miami where all these police cars are lined up. You see this at this mall down there? And it's like hundreds of police cars. And, pe- and, and people said, oh, this is what's being spread, that aliens were released in this mall. Have you heard of this? And there's a video, and the, the, no, it was just kids looting a store. And it's like, I don't know what to believe. Like, I don't, wasn't there, I don't know. But t- people tend to believe that. Or there's people who believe the earth is flat. Like, that's a thing, right? And people just believe that kind of stuff. So you, you believe it because your phone told you, right? You believe it because Instagram told you. And we're, we're in a sense, it's a powerful medium, but it's getting harder and harder to tell what's true and what's false. With artificial intelligence, deep fake, 
that kind of stuff, it gets harder and harder to discern what's actually true. I ordered these boots a few days after Christmas from a website, and I'm like, great, and I bought them, and they're being shipped, and then I get on Facebook, and I see an ad for the exact same company, and I go to their website. It looks like the exact same website, but all these boots are 80% off, and I almost bought them because who wouldn't want to save 80% on a pair of boots? It turns out the whole website was fake, whole thing, but it almost got me. It almost fooled me. It's so hard to tell what's true and what's false. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? So these covert lies are really what we're getting at when we look at some of this stuff because it masquerades itself as the truth. Lies we believe. See, Satan and demons and the evil in this world, it doesn't operate in the overt stuff, like stuff that's easy to tell. It's always stuff that goes around the defenses of your heart and sneaks its way in. It's really a war of of ideas. It's a war of influence. And like I knew someone in college who who was a serial liar, who everything she said, after you got to know her for a while, you realized that everything she said was a lie. Have you ever met anybody like this before? It's all she ever knew. She got into this habit of perpetually lying over and over again to the point where you have to lie to cover the other lie. And it snowballs into the point where you're always crying wolf and no one wants to be your friend because no one can trust you. But you've, you've built up this sort of facade about yourself. You have to cover it up over and over. I read about this week, there was a um, scientific study recently where according to this, stu- this study, people who tell small self-serving lies are likely to progress to bigger falsehoods. And the crazy part is, is that when they study these people's brains, your brain would adapt to dishonesty. It would, it would change your brain structure. You're essentially, you can, you can learn how to get better at lying and adapt to it. And so this idea of slippery slope is not only a philosophical, ethical, theological question, it is also now documented as a a biological, physiological problem. So when someone says a, a wayward politician or a corrupt financial person or an unfaithful spouse, says um, they attempt to justify their behavior. It's, it's all, we're holistic beings. Now the Bible would call this idea of hardening your heart, that the more and more you live in a world of dishonesty and telling lies to yourself and to others, your heart gets harder and harder and more jaded. So participants in this study were asked to advise a partner in a separate room how many pennies they had in a jar. And when the subjects believed that lying about their amount of money was to their benefit, they were more inclined to dishonesty. And as the study went on, every single person, their their lies escalated higher and higher. And as these lies increased, their response and their amygdala, which I believe is part of the brain, would decrease. And the findings suggest that negative emotional signals associated with lying decrease as the brain becomes desensitized. One of the researchers says, said, think about it like perfume. The first, or cologne, the first time you wear it, it smells strong and you get used to it and over time it gets less and less and a month later it just becomes part of the fabric of your life. It reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis in the book The Screwtape Letters, which is a book written from the perspective of demons who are trying to ruin 
A Man's Life, who's recently become a Christian. Fascinating book of, fi- of fiction, very insightful. And this is what one thing the elder demon Screwtape writes to Wormwood. Whatever their bodies do affect their souls. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things in their, our humans' minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. See, and that's the best thing that they try to do is just keep the truth out of your brain. Keep the truth out of your soul. They don't want you to know this stuff because the minute you know it, they've lost any sense of control and ability to tell lies any longer, to keep the truth out of you. So typically, lies find fertile soil in uh, the place of pride or self-pity or trauma from your past. That's how people come to believe lies. It does come down to authority. Who and what are you trusting with um, what you choose to believe? What opinions do you choose to trust and believe? There's a a passage in Matthew chapter six that has always kind of perplexed me um, until recently, where in Matthew six, Jesus is teaching about, um, I think I've got seven, but it should be six, I'm sorry. Go ahead and put six on there. But it's Matthew chapter six, and it, where Jesus says, your eye is like a lamp of the body. And I've always thought about this, because in the context of this passage, he's teaching about money. He's teaching about having uh, divided loyalties, about, about serving God or mammon, as the Greek would say, or just possessions, stuff. And really, he's really asking, it's a question of authority. Who do you trust? Why do you trust it? Um, what you choose to look at will determine what floods your life or shuts your life into darkness. So he's saying your eye is like a lamp. It's not literally a lamp, it's metaphorical, but what you choose to look at and engage in will determine the outcome of what's within. He says your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That's a troubling statement, because if anybody has the right to get metaphysical on us, it's Jesus. He perfectly understands what it means to be a human being on the earth. He's saying whatever you engage in will determine the the light or lack thereof in your life. If you're engaging with a deception, with a lie, and you believe it with the entirety of who you are, but you think it's true, how great is the darkness within you? But if you're filling your mind you're looking at things that are holy and pure and good and righteous with light he's saying it will affect you it will fill you if what you're looking at is false how great the deception is whatever we engage in physically can affect us spiritually we are holistic beings but God wants all people to have healthy eyes right he wants us to look at good pure righteous things and fill our lives with God's truth over and over again. So what comes to our minds when you answer, ask the question of who or what do you trust the most, that is the most important question about you and about me. It's the most important thing you'll ever answer. To not be tossed around by the seas and the waves of culture, God wants us to stand on solid ground, to have a clear head, and to see truth from lies. So here's a couple of lies that we're following a book called Lies We Believe, uh, and we'll have copies out in the Bridge Cafe. Some of you already bought all, all of them, so we got more. Um, 
And here's a couple that he covers in the book. The first one is, it's easier to avoid my problems than to face them. Oh boy, right? It's e- and it's true. You're, the temptation is just to avoid conflict, to avoid difficulty, and go the other way. No one likes conflict, but no one likes problems, but we all have them. It's important to face problems because if we grow into spiritual maturity, one of those aspects of growing in the spirit is being willing to speak the truth in love, is being willing to go into a conflict situation with love in your heart by faith and not shying away from it. Ephesians 4.15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. When we, the church, speak to each other in love, we, build, we should be building each other up. We should be helping serve one, not tearing each other down. The Bible would teach you that when you do that, you're growing into maturity. So facing your problems head on is about speaking the truth. I knew a young woman once who was in a small group with other ladies. For, many, uh, for at least about two years, they knew each other. And uh, this young woman was in her, I don't know, mid to late 20s. She'd been dating a guy for quite a while. And uh, the ladies in the group um, knew, knew all, each other well, and they knew the stories. And this young woman said, you know what, my, my boyfriend asked me to move in with him, um, you know, without being married and all of that. And uh, now one woman, another woman in the group knew that this was a bad idea. She knew this guy, she knew it was not what she, was the wrong choice, but you know what the rest of the group did? Nothing, they said nothing. Everyone was silent. No one spoke the truth in love. Everyone was afraid. Fear. Fear can paralyze us even when we, we have to press through those feelings of fear with, with love. And this one woman spoke up to the woman that was gonna move in. I said, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea. Like, you sure you wanna rush into something like that? It's kind of, the, it's kind of like, you know, putting the car ahead of the horse. Maybe you should push the brakes on that for a little bit. And, and do you know what the other women in the group did? They got angry. They got angry at the woman that tried to speak the truth and help give some sort of guidance. But here's the deal. When we avoid difficult conversations, you trade short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction. I'll say it again. When you avoid difficult conversations, you trade short-term discomfort for long-term dysfunction. Healthy, mature Christians healthy churches too, are not afraid to go in love, in love, in kindness, and address it, whatever it is, to face the problem and do it with love. And so related to that is another lie we believe that has come up in this book, my happiness is externally caused. Now this is a big one, this is a big one. How you feel is how you feel, but what you do with those feelings is your responsibility. You and I can't control anyone. All we can control, all you can control is you. And I love this quote from John Wesley, to be rigorous in judging yourself and gracious in judging others. Everything could be taken away from you, but you will always have the freedom to determine what attitude you will carry with you. The alternative is to believe something like that that all of your problems are always someone else's fault. And what happens is you become a victim, perpetually a victim. Now, don't get me wrong, some some of us are definitely victims and have had some difficult things to to deal with. 
And it is always easier to blame other people than blame yourself. Admitting mistakes we have made, seeking forgiveness from God, is not weakness, it's actually strength. Another lie from the book, lies we believe, is to get along, everyone needs to think and feel and act the same way. I recommend you read this chapter. This is actually (laughs) very insightful. Um, This mindset is fairly common, and my response says, have you ever met people before? Have you ever met people? Because it's not really gonna work all the time. Um, That's never gonna happen. No group of people, uh, religious or otherwise, is a monolith of belief. Like we all just, we're not always, we're all in different places in our journey, and that's okay. You know, Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. Unity is important. Uh, Unity is a good thing, obviously. Everyone wants to be unified. But sometimes we confuse unity for uniformity. And that's what this statement, this lie would hold, is that we need to have uniformity in all people at all times. That's never gonna happen. But we can have unity in the midst of our diversity, right? Jesus said that people are like sheep. And I'm not a shepherd. I've never really been much of a farmer in my life. I've never spent much time around sheep, actually. But I get the impression that sheep don't do straight lines very well. Um, Or cleanliness, for that matter. Um, They don't do well with order and understanding directives um, very well. But Jesus says to us that he is the good shepherd, that he hems us in, that he helps us grow together. He keeps us out of dangerous places and hopefully leads us to green pastures and the places of blessing and help. He hems us in and he will help us be one as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, that he is our good shepherd in that regard, that our God is a God who brings order out of chaos, right? But God is always cooking up something good in the kitchen. And in my experience with what, reading the Gospels and reading and experiencing the church is that he's not very discerning about who he allows in the kitchen. Like everybody can come and cook, you know what I mean? Like there's not like, oh sorry, you suck at cooking, you can't come in, or your hands are dirty, or you have a tattoo, or whatever. Like actually no, it's the people that you would never expect to be in the kitchen cooking that are invited to come into the kitchen and cook, right? And it's always the externals coming in to the internal. It's never, see, friends, if the church, if the church fails to look outward and be externally focused with grace, eventually the church turns inward and it eats itself alive. And some of you are saying, yeah, because you know it's true. If you lose that missional grace-filled focus to the world around us, eventually the backbiting and the politics, all that stuff starts. You have to be continually focused on, um, everyone's never gonna feel and act the same way, and that's okay. There, it's, it's messy, humanity. I don't fully understand the, the human experience. There's parts of it that's just way over my head. It's just too much sometimes. But what I do know is that the people that are the most overlooked are the people that should be invited into the uniform, into the unity. There will never be uniformity, but there can be unity in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about the 12 disciples. You had, you had 12 men, 11 of them are Jews, and then you have Matthew, the rich tax collector, right? 
I mean, Jesus was not, he was, he was not afraid to bring in people that were a little bit different than other people would expect. That we can unite around lots of things. We can unite around our identity as sinners. We can unite about, around our place in need of grace. We can unite around the place that the last will be first. We can unite around the call that the greatest among us will be the servant. That, that, that the more you think about that, okay, the more, if you think about me a lot, you're gonna have a hard time serving Jesus. If you're always thinking about yourself, it's gonna be hard for you. You have to lay down your life, like you have to let go of yourself. It's not about you. It's not about me, right? It's not about you. When you serve Christ, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. See, when we talk about unity in the church, if you are looking for faults in other people, you will always find them, right? If you're looking for faults in your church, you will always find them. But why? Because you're a part of the church, and I'm a part of the church, and I'm not perfect, and neither are you. But on the conversely, if you're looking for things to celebrate in somebody else, you'll always find them, right? If you're looking to things to celebrate in your church, you know what? You'll find them, because they're there. Your attitude, my attitude, your words can build up or tear down. You and I, as St. Augustine said, you and I are the times in which we live. So this does relate to problems, happiness is externally caused, unhappiness. It ultimately comes down to daily choosing with the grace of God to help us. Ironically, choosing joy, choosing encouragement, choosing to love other people, choosing to find things to celebrate, as Jeff would say, gossip the good things. The more we choose to do that, ironically, it creates unity. It builds up others in love, which is our high and holy calling. There's one more lie that's in this book that I thought was excellent uh, point, and that is that life is easy and fair. Uh, (laughs) Does anyone think that's a lie? (laughs) Um, Sometimes, you know, when people have this expectation that life is supposed to be easy and fair, I'm like, again, I'm like, do you know people? Uh, Do you know what it means to be alive? Things are not always easy. Things are not always fair. It's really a question of how do you define fairness? How do you define easy? Life is beautiful. Life is confusing. Much of this life can be a mystery. But the answer to that confusion, the answer to that lie, that life is easy and fair, the answer to it is the very incarnation of Jesus, born into flesh, perfectly man, perfectly God. That is the answer, thinking that life is easy and fair, why? Because he lived a sinless life in this world, in a world that was not fair, that was evil, that was intended to harm him every step of the way. They wanted to take his life even before he was born, trying to kill him. Eventually, they get what they want and they kill him and God used what was for evil for what? For the good. So even things that are unfair in your life right now, God can and will eventually use those for the good. He can and will. It won't be easy, but it'll eventually be fair on maybe on the other side of heaven. For people who go, um, you know, I know that, I never like the phrase, everything happens for a reason. I think that's a dangerous, it can be a dangerous statement. Because when you say that to someone, you know, 
what you're saying is, oh, did, did God intend for my aunt to get cancer or something, right? So that's, that's kind of dangerous. But just, but then again, I don't, I don't have a, just, just because we don't know the reason, it doesn't mean God doesn't have a reason. You just don't know it. But that eventually, all things will be made known that now in this world, in this life, we see through a veil, right? We see through a veil darkly. We don't fully understand everything that we see. But here's what is the answer. In the incarnation of Jesus about life not being easy or fair is that God sees the whole immensity of your life. He sees the tapestry of everything that is flowing in your whole existence so, so far. And the answer is the goodness of God. If you focus only on the, on the problem, only on the difficulty, it will weigh you down and it will crush you. But if you dwell on the richness, the love of God for you, God, God may not take away the storm, but he will equip you to walk through it. So we're gonna sing a song here called Sound Mind. Beautiful song, great lyrics, great words. It's so much of transformation in our lives begins in the mind. It does begin in our thoughts and how we think and feel about lots of things. And tearing down those strongholds of things we may believe that just aren't true. And the truth dispelling those lies. So as we sing this song, I'll be up front to pray with you. If you need prayer, if you're at war with something right now, we wanna help you. We wanna pray together, friends. Um, and if anyone else wants to come pray with others, please do so during this time of, of response. So I'll pray and then the, the prayer rails are open. God, we thank you that we should feel free to bring our brokenness into your presence. That is exactly what you want. That Jesus, you're always seeking broken people. You're not intimidated by our difficulty. You're more than able to heal and sanctify and deliver. We pray, Lord, that you would heal our minds, heal our emotions.